0: of God, and you can start by going to John chapter uh, 20, John chapter 20 after the resurrection. I just want to read that verse in a couple of moments. There's a question that has been rolling around in my spirit for the last several weeks. Um, It's just been rolling in there, and I believe that the, the Lord is saying to give it today. It's a question, actually, and that is this, do you really care about what God says? Do you really care about what he thinks? If you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus, uh, you've repented of your sins, you've received him as your Savior, you've become a disciple, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If you would say that I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I... Uh, Worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lives within me. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the question. Do you care what he says? Is it something about God that you really care of what he says? Is it important to you? We live in a time that there's all kinds of stuff going on. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand that God is speaking If you look in your Bible to John chapter 20, we refer to this one disciple who, after the resurrection, his name is Thomas, they were gathering in the meeting. Look at down in verse um, 24 of John's gospel, John 20, 24. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'm not going to believe until I can see it for myself, put my hands in his, in the, in the, in his, where his hands and his side where the nails were and his side where the spear cut him open. That's where I want to see him. Verse 28, I'm sorry, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Now, did you notice another miracle that took place in his glorified body? He just stood there. The doors are locked, and he's there. Now, if resurrection was not enough to get your attention, certainly that should have. If Jesus shows up in a locked room and said, who let him in? He didn't come in by a window, did he? No, he's there. So another miraculous appearance of the resurrected Christ, glorified body, there he is. And he said to them, peace be with you. I'm sure that peace addressed their nervousness, their fear, whatever came upon them when he shows up. Peace be with you. Then he turned, let me add, let me paraphrase. Then he looked around the room And turned to Thomas, looked him right in the eye. He said, Thomas, put your finger right here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, which is a great response, don't you think, by that point? you're saying, oh God, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not, not, not seen and yet have believed. Haven't seen, have heard, and yet they believe. We talked a lot about that. We talked about the prophet Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, when as a little boy an answered prayer to a barren mother who God answered her prayer, gave her a child, and she said, I'll give him to you, Lord. His name was Samuel, the prophet, in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. In chapter 3, he's with Eli in the tabernacle area there in Shiloh, and he hears this word, Samuel, Samuel. So he jumps up out of bed, runs to Eli, and Eli said, What are you waking me up for? I didn't call you. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Go back to sleep. Happened again. Happened a third time. Finally, Eli's catching the message. He said, Next time you hear that voice, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we know that story because we talked about it. We talked about what it is. Your servant is listening. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. In the last book of the New Testament, it talks about the word to the seven churches. Seven times it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's good to respond. That keeps you awake. He that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Seven times it's repeated in that scripture. You know, uh, we, we know, I think, that prayer is vital to the believer and that prayer is speaking to God. It's coming to God, casting our cares on him, asking for his help, crying out to him, The question, what should I do? Around here, we do use that phrase we've been learning, pray first. Well, that's what we ought to do, pray first. But what we don't know, or we don't expect, rather, is that God will actually have something to say back to us, that God has an answer. You see, the Word of God is so filled with this this concept, it's not a concept, a life way, a a way to live with God, is that God speaks to his people all the time. He began in the garden with Adam and Eve. We could go to Noah. We could go to Moses, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, all the prophets, Jeremiah, Jonah, Paul. We can look at all of them and see that God spoke to them in a way that they understood what that is. In Deuteronomy 6, God told the children of Israel in what we term the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is God. He's the Lord. Listen to him. Hear, O Israel. In my writing of the Bible, and, and Judy and I both have been copying the Bible, writing it down, I've come to Isaiah. Go to the book of Isaiah in your older covenant book there, Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 30. It's a wonderful exercise to do. I would encourage you to do it. Just take a notebook and just begin to copy what you see and read. You'll find things there that you just have passed over before. But I'm doing my writing in Isaiah right now. And you come to Isaiah uh, chapter 30, and you go down to verse 19. Actually, I want to go back up to 15. Verse 15 of Isaiah 30. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. Till your left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet, love those words in the Bible, yet, or but says the Lord, but there's a change, however says the Lord. He said, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will raise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you'll weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears your cry, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you'll see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The presence of Almighty God says, I will bring and restore you, but what you're going to understand is that you will hear in your voice a direction you need to take. God answered the cry. He said, I hear your cry. I will answer. I want you to turn away from idolatry. I want you to get rid of all that false worship. I want you to follow my word. But I have compassion on you, and I'm going to give you direction. You hear my voice. My question remains, do we want to hear? Do you want to hear? And if you do want to hear, do you look around in expectation and faith, believing that God will answer that cry? Or do we just continue on doing our own thing? I have just started a book that my mother sent me. It's all about mental acuity and so forth. And no, it isn't. <laughs> no, no, my mom is okay. She's just, she said, you've got to read this book. It's The God of Fire. It's by a, a Jewish believer, a Messianic Jewish believer. This is the last story. I read it this morning. I was a way to get ready to come to church And this was in the days when there was tremendous gas shortages. So it's been a few years back. I think you all remember those days. Not all. Some of us old timers remember those days. She needed to go up and get uh, to take care of some things. And they were living in uh, Connecticut, needed to get up further into New York for this journey. But there was no gas in any gas station. She had a quarter of a tank of gas and she said, oh no, what am I going to do? She's on her way. She knew that there were three gas stations on the route down further into Connecticut there to get the gas. And she hears in her heart, her spirit, just go home. She said, I'm not going home. I've got to go do this all the time. Just go home. Just go home. Just go home. She doesn't listen. She says, I'm going to go to these gas stations. Went to the first one, shut down, no gas. Second one, shut down, no gas. Next one, shut down, no gas. Finally said, I've got to go home. <laughs> on the way... She's understanding, Lord, are you talking to me? Are you giving me a word? Or is there something I need to follow here? She gets home. Now, the quarter tank she had is a little bit less gas now. She tells her husband, said, what are we going to do? He said, let's go. God says, go. We'll go. So they get on the route. They fast, fast the first gas station. Nothing there. Nobody's there. It's all locked up. Get to another one. He said, hey, wait a minute. There's a guy in the window at the gas station. Turn around. Let's go back. Comes out, a young guy comes out, and they said, could you please give us some gas? we got to get up here. He said, sure, I'll give you gas. Filled her tank, their tank, to the brim, and he said, I haven't pumped that amount of gas in weeks and weeks. You're blessed. Go ahead. What did she discover? She writes at the end of the chapter, she said, I discovered I need to repent and listen and do what God tells me to do. Now, some of you look at me, that's crazy. I like crazy like that. I like to listen to God and do what he says. I've also experienced a not listening and was very repentant for not listening to his voice. Listen to Jesus' words. Let's go back to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want to give you three quick passages. What Jesus said about this matter. John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6 verse 63. Let me go to 61 and bring you into it. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about Jesus, um, about what he was teaching them, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. The words that I'm giving you Our spirit and life. Please remember that this Bible wasn't written then. The Older Covenant was, but the New Testament wasn't. So he's saying the words that I've given you, they are spirit and life to you. Go down to chapter 10. Just go over a couple pages, chapter 10. Go quickly to this one, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They listen. I know them. They follow me. Go to chapter 12. Again, Jesus speaking about these matters. John chapter 12, verse 37. 12, 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. They still wouldn't believe in him, even though I had seen everything that he had done. And then he goes on to say some other things, fulfillment a prophecy. I want to go to verse 44, where Jesus cries out, "'Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness.'" If anyone hears my words but doesn't keep them, I don't judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commandment leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. The words that Jesus said came from the Father. They are very important, the words that Jesus spoke. And again, I ask this question. How important is the Word of God to you? How important is this book of God's Word to you? One more story, and then I'm going to talk just a few more items. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Go back one more gospel to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 38. Several, maybe a couple months ago, we talked all about the Good Samaritan, which precedes this experience, this event. But verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. I'm going to emphasize this and come back to it. She sat at at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered You're worried, upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is important. It will not be taken away from her. Martha, you're worried about too many things. There's only a few things that are needed. There's only one thing that is necessary that we need to look at and know. Please know that Jesus was not criticizing her for doing a job, preparing a meal, getting it all ready. He just said to her, in all of this gathering of stuff we're doing, there's something more important in life than that. There's something that Mary is choosing to do, and that's to listen to my voice. I I just envision this again. You guys uh, all know that I have sort of a twisted imagination at times. But could I put this? Is I could see it happening. Dad is sitting there talking, whatever. And here comes, or mom would be probably more likely. In comes one of the kids. Mom, mom, make her help me. Could you hear that whine in Martha's voice? Jesus, she's not listening to me. Get her in here. And I could just say, now calm down, daughter. Just, just relax. We're going to get to that. He's not saying we're not going to get to that. She's going to help set up. It's going to happen. But right now there's a priority, and she's choosing the more important thing, the more necessary thing, the more helpful thing, and that is to sit here and listen to the words that I'm giving her, which are spirit and life. I know that most of us in this room are susceptible to putting aside the very word of God to do another thing. Have my Bible open, well, well, I better mow the grass. It's going to rain in another month. I better get at it right away, or in about two minutes it's going to rain. I'll do that later, and we never do. Oh, we might come back to it later, maybe. But I wonder, what's God saying to me that I need to hear as I read his word? See, the Bible also says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, Hearing by the word of God. So if we're going to be a people, we need to hear God's voice. Uh, Peter, Lord, Peter Lord has a book written a number of years ago. But then he has a quote from A.W. Tozer. Listen to this. The Bible will never be a living book to us until we are confi- convinced that God is articulate in his universe. To jump from a dead, impersonal world to a dogmatic Bible is too much for most people. They may admit that they should accept the Bible as the word of God, and they might try to think of it as such, but they find it impossible to believe that the words there on the page are actually for them. A man may say, these words are addressed to me. And yet in his heart not feel or know that they are. He is a victim of a divided psychology. He tries to think of God as mute everywhere and vocal only in a book. W. Tozer continues, I believe that much of our religious unbelief is due to a wrong conception of and a wrong feeling for the scriptures of truth. A silent God suddenly begins to speak in a book, and when the book was finished, lapsed back into silence again forever. Let me just say again what he just said. Oh, I'm excited what God says, but once I close it up and walk out, he's done speaking. That's not a God of relationship. Goes on. He said, I think a new world would arise out of the religious mist if we approach our Bible with the idea that it is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. The prophets habitually said, thus saith the Lord. They meant their hearers to understand that God's speaking is in the continuous presence. I'm challenging all of us in this day and in this season to renew the hearing ear to hear and do what God says. I can read the word. You can read the word and get all figured out, get all the knowledge, get it all in a good bundle. We know that and close it up and say, okay, got it. And walk out as if God has nothing more to say about my life or yours. And that's not relationship. That's not walking in fellowship with the Lord. I don't have time to go through about 17 different things. But I want to just talk about several of them. Go to John chapter 6, 63. We were just there a moment ago. What can you expect... God to say. Now, like I said, about 17, 18, 20, whatever, I can give you a bunch, but I'm just going to give you a couple this morning. If you say, okay, God, I'm going to come to your word, what are you going to say? What can you expect when you open up the Bible? What do you believe will happen? You say, read the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What do I expect will happen? John 6, 63, we read it a a moment ago. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. The words that I speak to you, the first thing that you can begin to expect as you trust in God, you say, God, I want to hear your voice, is that he will give you words. The words that I have spoken to you, he will give you a word. My friend Ed Smelser, who many of us remember and know, he, he's, he gives this explanation about this. And he said, I have, I've never heard the audible voice of God like Mount Sinai, like Paul on the road to Damascus. I've never heard his audible voice, but I can tell you for sure, I can quote everything he said. I can tell you exactly what he said to me. And if you think about your walk with God, there are times when you sense and you know there's something that was spoken to you. You can't hear anything audibly in your natural voice, but inside you have a word that God gave you. There's something that happens. The Holy Spirit is within me. The words come clear and pointed in our lives. Now, not all words that God is going to give you are going to be very, uh, you might not want to hear them. You're not want to want to hear, but you're going to know in your heart that it's absolute truth. It's over 30 years ago. Uh, I was very frustrated. I was very busy. Busy then, well, busy when I could handle being busy. And I was involved all over the community down in uh, at the Christian school in Hartville. Here at the church, there was all kinds of things going on. I was very busy, and I just said, God, I've got to get alone to hear you. And I found a hunting cabin, which is always fun to do. It's summer, so the hunters are not out in the summertime so much. And one of the guys in, in town said, hey, why don't you use my hunting cabin, our hunting is a group of guys, for a few days. And it was remote. I mean it was really remote down southern Ohio, all by itself up in the woods. And for four or five days, I never left there. I did go out and get some food because I was hungry. I didn't, I didn't do good on a five-day fast. Don't look at me that way. You couldn't either. You know that. In fact, some of you are thinking about what you're going to eat right now. All right? Hang on. Fast until noon or whatever. I'm done. Anyway, so I was there all by myself. I took a notebook. I took my Bible. Took some of the things I wanted to read and catch up on and just got alone. I think back, those were in days before cell phones. We used carrier pigeons to communicate. <laughs> I mean, it was a long time ago. And I would go out found a pay phone and call Judy and said, everything's okay, and fine, and go back. And for the hour, days, for the four days I did this. And then I heard the Lord say to me, and I did not want to hear it. He said, Jim, you are a deadbeat dad. And I knew immediately what he was meant. Because I preached against deadbeat dads. I preached against men who fail to lead their families. I preached about men who leave the wife to be spiritual leaders in their home. I preached against people, men particularly, us guys, who walk away from the things of God and say, oh, my wife will handle the prayer. My wife will handle Sunday school. My wife will do that. I'll show up, but I'm working. I've spoken all that, and here's my father in heaven, say, Jim, you're nothing but a deadbeat dad concerning pastoring the flock of God. He and I had some conversations because I was busy. I was going everywhere. I was involved in a Christian school where they loved me. The family back home, the church didn't love me so much, so I went over there to get some love. Now, it's not you guys. Just look, don't be relaxed. You guys are loving to me. I got all that handled. But back then, it was my self-centered whatever. And God says, you get back where you belong. I resigned a bunch of stuff and came back and said, this is the church that God gave me. These are, you're my people. And God restored my love, restored everything. But I did not want to hear that word. But it was the word that gave me life. Because I repented and I began to walk in the way that he wanted me to walk, and I found joy again. I found the joy of the Lord. A word that God's going to give you. He will give it to you, and you, you, it'll, it'll be confirmation. There's something that God's going to speak to you and said, stop it right now. Don't you do that anymore. And then there's other words that God's going to... Let me give you a second word that God's going to give you. Go to John 14. You're in John. Go over page John 14. John 14, verse 27. He looked at his disciples. He looked right at them and he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. The second word that you can expect is he will give you his peace. My peace I give to you. Even in every prayer, Talking to God. Martha was whining. She wanted peace. And I said she wasn't wrong in what she was saying. Mary just wasn't helping her with the guests at that time. Martha, in those words, was Martha, be at peace about this. There's lots of things to get involved in, but Mary is choosing the better thing. That's all that's needed. Trusting God. To give us peace i think we're i don't know i don't know what kind of prayer you are i pray that you pray i'm asking god that we are a house of prayer we have a great prayer group we got things going to pray for one another we got all that but when you pray what do you expect to come out of that prayer answers correct but after you poured out your heart with god all your tension all your anxiety all your cries, my kids, my job, my world, this, uh, I can't take it. God help me. Do you pick up what he has for you and listen to him and say, my peace, I give it to you. Walk out in peace. The world's going to have tribulation. You're going to go through sometimes, but can you walk and put on the cloth, the robe of righteousness, can you put on peace? Lord, you give me peace. One of the most Precious commodities that you can receive from the Father is His peace, in the world that's full, so full of doubt and unbelief. Go to John, you're uh, at fourteen. Go to fifteen. One more, John fifteen eleven. Over a page. I told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now, I could go on and read the rest. It's it's a wonderful section of Scripture, but the word that you can expect from the Lord is joy. Joy. These things I have spoken to you. The words that I'm giving you is so that you might have my joy and you might have it to the full. If I gave you a mirror just to look at your face right now, what would you see? Didn't get my hair just right. What would you see? Would you see a face of joy? Would you see a face that is at peace? Would you have a a picture of your face that would dictate that you belong to Jesus? How would you describe your disposition? Are you an upset person, morose, sad, tired, unhappy, frustrated, weary? You know, Sometimes I think that we as believers in Jesus are some of the most unhappy people in the world. We walk around with our face dragging on the ground. What's wrong with you? Oh, I'm going under it right now. Oh, I'm in battle right now. Listen, what did he promise to give us? His joy, and he's going to fill us up so it's full in us. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. But sometimes we like to be unhappy more than we like to be filled with joy. And we refuse to be strengthened. The joy of the Lord is your, say it together, strength. Say it together. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If I'm going to walk in strength, I must walk in the joy of my God. Because when I come to him and say, Lord, I'm interested in what you're saying. What are you saying to me? He said, would you just be filled with my joy? And what is the joy based in? The fact that he is God. There is none other. His son, the Lord Jesus, came to die on the cross for my sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's a resurrected living Christ. He's risen. He's risen today. And he's going to return very soon to take me home to be with him. Should that do something in your heart? Well, three of you like it. How about the rest of you? Say amen. Amen. God is amen. Amen. That's it. You see, what am I going to do? Am I going to have joy in the journey? If the world looks at us... Would they want to have what we have? Or would they look at us and say, oh, I don't want that. I don't, whatever that is, I don't want it. Because you're grumpy, you're miserable, you're just a sour kind of person. What about this Jesus who's got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart? I think God's speaking to me and you today. Is that important? To think, to see what God thinks about all he's Giving us and what we're taking? It's an important question. One last one I'm going to get today is Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now listen, faith, trusting in God is a vital part of your walk in mind, to trust in God. The Bible says when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find trusting in him? It is not, listen, it's not just mindless determination. I'm going to trust God no matter what. No. It's a spiritual impartation by the word of God that builds my trust in God. It's going to require a choice to say, I trust in you. God, you're in control of my life. I will put my life in your hands and believe you. I believe your word. I believe your direction. I have your peace and joy. And I begin to put that into action because I trust in you. When you come to God, and you say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. He's going to talk to you about how great he is and that you can trust him. Very practically, you could expect God to do that kind of thing in your life. The word is clear. The Christian norm is to walk in the spirit. Romans 8, 14, those are the children of God are led by the spirit of God. Led by the Spirit of God. Led by the Spirit of God. Remember Isaiah 30? A voice behind you saying, walk this way. Walk this way. Do this. My question to all of us this morning, for me and for you, is will you enter into a fresh season of hearing God, maybe for the first time, maybe again, May you experience him again, Lord, I want to hear you. This year our theme is new life in Zion. It's renewed life. It's restoring. Probably in the next couple of weeks I'm going to talk a lot about the hindrances of that. What, what gets in the way? What can't we do? But this morning the question is learning to hear God's voice again and do what he says. God has a way for us. The song that we sang as we learned the first, uh, before we started the sermon today, was Christ be magnified in me. When he's magnified in me, there's stuff. I think Linda said it well when she said, when you have the light of the gospel, you have the light of Jesus in you, you can splash around into darkness and people can see Jesus. I like that. Worship team, if you would come, and I want us to really sing this song, I know it's new for you, but... Christ be magnified in me. Would you stand together with us? We're going to try to sing one more time. I'll have to go up and join them in just a minute. But Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to all of our hearts today. Lord, we'd hear your voice. And even now, Lord, speak to your sons and daughters, words of joy, words of faith, words of confidence in you. So, Lord, we open our hearts. Christ, be magnified in me in the name of Jesus. Please stand with us as we...